You're listening to a message from Grace Church of North Brunswick, where people are empowered, impacted, and enriched through the good news of the gospel. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website at gracechurchnv.com. And now we hope that you enjoy this message. Welcome to our second service. Amen. This is the second more powerful service. We won't tell anybody in the, who was here in the first service, but the second touch is always better than the first. If everybody would just stand to their feet right now, and I just want to give the kids up to junior high, if you haven't got a chance to go downstairs and enjoy that ministry, you can do that right now. At the same time, I saw uh, at the conference I'm going to be in on Saturday, there's going to be worship and preaching and clergy sort of question and answer. And at the same time, at 1 o'clock, I'm like, they must have got that from me. They're going to have five minutes of exercise. Now, I don't know what that is, but I know that if we just shake everything off, shake the week off, just shake it our it's never bad to move, is it? For some of us, I just want to get over 10,000 steps. Where am I? Or just, just move around, shake off this week, shake off the fear, shake off the doubt, shake off the unbelief, and give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah! We bless you, Lord. We praise you. We give you honor and glory in your house today. In the name of Jesus, believing that the impossible is possible with you. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. That's first gear. We're just getting warmed up. (laughs) We're in the book of Mark, chapter 8. We just had a leader's retreat. Our senior pastors, doesn't mean they're old, but our senior pastors and elders. Uh, really, the first one we've ever done, the Lord said, we need to do more of them, and we will. And we're going to have a couple's retreat, men's retreat, women's retreats coming up. It's always good. It's always good to get away. Because you can find yourself in a place of unbelief, a place where you need to be let out of, a place where you can dream again and believe again. And that's what happened for us. I said through the retreat that this was for me. If it wasn't for anybody else there, it was for me. And we don't even call it a retreat because that would mean that we're turning around. It's an advance because we're going forward. Amen? Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he, talking about Jesus, came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now, Jesus had just fed 4,000 people. He had just talked to his disciples, the ones he was teaching, and said, you know, There are people that hear that don't really hear. There are people that can see but can't really see. And here we have a man who physically cannot see, who ends up seeing clearly. In verse 22, it says that they came to Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is a word when you see Beth in the Hebrew, it means house. And Saida means fish. So this place was called House of Fish. Interesting. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch them. This blind man didn't come on his own. 
This blind man did not come on his own. They brought him. How many of you are in church because somebody brought you? And I'm not just talking about today. I'm talking about in your life. How many of you got dragged to church? I could put two hands and two feet and all my toes up for that one. Because really the first time I got dragged to church was by my wife, my future wife at the time. She just basically looked at me and said, you're going to church. She didn't have to drag me. That was like her putting her hand out and saying, you're going. But you see that this man had some friends that were willing to bring him to a place where he needed to be. What kind of friends do you have? Are they bringing you to Jesus or they're bringing you to the bar or they're bringing you to the club or they're bringing you to, to, to unbelief? Are they bringing you, when, when you call them on the phone, they got nothing but negativity? Real friends bring people to Jesus. Real friends. So if somebody dragged you to church today, they're a really good friend. Amen? And next week on Bring a Friend to Church, why don't you drag somebody? If they say no, drag them. We should have a drag to church ministry. We send out these big ushers and stuff. Go ahead, go drag somebody in. It's the best thing for them. A real friend drags somebody to church. Never mind, leads them. Drags them to church. This man had great friends. They brought this blind man to Jesus. He didn't do it on his own. It was good he was blind or he might not have gone with him. I said it was good he was blind or he might not have gone with him. You know, sometimes your weakness will end up being your greatest strength one day. They brought him to Jesus. It reminds me of the crippled guy who couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd and his four friends said, listen, if we can't get him to him this way, we're going on the roof, we're ripping the roof off, and we're dropping him down because there's nothing he needs more than Jesus. If we had that attitude, these seats would be filled, these walls would be knocked down. The best thing you can do for someone is bring them to Jesus. Everybody should say amen right now because there's no better place to bring them. If you can bring them home to watch a football game with you, you can bring them to church so they can meet somebody that can change them forever because whether the Giants win or lose, it doesn't matter, and they better win today. Mark chapter 8, verse 23. So Jesus, it says he took, but the literal word in the Greek there means he caught his hand. See, when you're blind, your hand is flailing to find out. And there are people that are just flailing for an answer. And Jesus caught his hand. Caught his hand. And led him out. Everybody say out. Of the town of Bethsaida. It's a good thing they let him out of Bethsaida. You know why? Because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus said... That if the miracles that had been done in Bethsaida were done in Tyre and Sidon, that those towns would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But because Bethsaida, the miracles done in you, you will be thrown down into the depths. And by the way, that town's gone. The land isn't gone, but the town is. The wonder Jesus let him out of there. Many people are in a place where they don't need to be. 
Somebody say amen. They're in a relationship they don't need to be in. They're in a job they don't need to be in. They're in a situation they don't need to be in. Jesus wants to lead you out of that. I hear people complain about their jobs all the time. I say, well, ask Jesus. He'll lead you to a better one. I hear people, I'm in this relationship with this unbeliever. Well, you never should be, number one. But here's what you can do. Drag that unbeliever to church and we'll clean him up. We'll get him or her saved. And then maybe you could get married. My daughter met this young man. He was an unbeliever. I said, fine, drag his you-know-what to church. Show she did. They're getting married now. I also said, drag him to me so I can knock some sense into him. They get married now. You know what? When we met, we were both unbelievers. But God has cleaned us up. We're not perfectly clean. But he had to take us out of where we were. I lost. I had so many friends over there in Staten Island. Let me tell you about it. Most of them are gone from my life. Because I needed to be led out of that place of unbelief. See, because where there are unbeliefers, <laughs> where there are unbeliefers, it limits what God can do. Now, God is not limited. He's unshakable. He's unchangeable. He's unstoppable. But in Matthew 13, it says, Jesus was in a place where there was a lot of unbelief, and he couldn't do any miracles there. It's not that he couldn't. It's that they wouldn't. And there's some things that Jesus is trying to lead you out of so he can let you and help you to see again. We went on this retreat, and I'm studying this. And, you know, Pastor Courtney and I were just talking, and he thinks kind of like I think. Makes kind of sense, doesn't it? We're both a little crazy. So we were talking about how we were led to get together and get away from ministry and all these different things for a little bit. And it was so we could see things better again. I mean, the whole time, enjoying one of those company, prayer, worship, fellowship. You know, when you go on a retreat, it's not just all about a religion. It's about unity. Unity. It says in the Bible that when brothers get together with sisters too, and there's unity, that the anointing comes down in a powerful way. And it starts at the top and goes down. And if the leaders in this church are not led away for some time, if the leaders in this church are not united, if the leaders in this church don't have vision, nobody else will. I promise you that. It starts there, and then it comes down into the congregation, and then before you know it, you're changing the world. And guess what? I'm interested in changing the world. I don't know about you, right? If you want to change a block, fine. I'm interested in changing the world, and we are changing the world, but it's never enough for me. I don't know about you. I want to have big vision and big dreams, and that's it. So to, be, to have that, sometimes you need to be led out of a place in your life, whatever it might be. So he led him out of the place where all the unbeliefers are to a place where he would be able to see again. Mark chapter 8, verse 23. So, 
how much I love when Jesus spits, right? <laughs> I love that sound. And so when Jesus spit on his eyes, I got news for you. Jesus didn't spit on his eyes. Jesus spit in his eyes. Let me start that all over. Jesus didn't spit on his eyes. He spit in his eyes. Anybody ever spit on you? Raise your hand. Is that person alive? You know that I'm Jewish on my mom's side and I'm Italian on my father's side. You kind of know that, I think. But um, I went to support Israel in a rally in New York City a couple years ago. And I've also been to Israel, so I know Orthodox Jews very well. And when a Jew spits, it is the greatest insult you 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 know you could hit an Orthodox Jew and he wouldn't be as mad as if you spit in his direction. Let me say that again. If you hit him over the head, compared to spitting even in his direction, the spit is a greater insult. The spit is a greater insult. Now, as we were going to support Israel, so you go, we're going to the UN, right, to support Israel. And there's Orthodox Jews on the side here, and I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to support Israel. These guys got to be on our side. Hey, man, give me a yarmulke, let's party, you know? When they saw us going by, they started spitting at us. And I noticed that they were anti-Zionists. In other words, they don't believe in the state of Israel. I'm not going to get into that. But the point is, they spit. At the same time, I can remember when we were at the, uh, what is it called, the wall, honey, in, in Israel? The Wailing Wall. And we went underneath in the Wailing Wall. We went to a place where people were studying the Torah. It was real serious in there, man. There was Pharisees in there. Everything was all going on. And somebody got up and said something, and the other guy didn't like it. And these people take this stuff serious, man. You think football fans are crazy or soccer fans? One of the guys starts spitting, spitting, spitting. And I'm like, wow. Because it's like an insult. It's like a curse. To spit on someone back then was like, I curse you. And Jesus spit in his eyes. You know, I felt over the last week, there was at one point I was like, I felt like Jesus spit on my, in my eyes. I felt like he spit in my eyes. You know what? I loved it. I was like, spit again. Because I need it. Because I'm in a place where I'm not seeing real well. So you need to, however you got to get my, if somebody spits in your eye, you get, will they get your attention? Let me tell you something about saliva. Isn't this, a, isn't this great? Do you know, all right, how many of you are health crazy? No, I'm going to say freaks, healthy people. Raise your hand. Come on. There's a zillion of you out there. Right now, I'm taking turmeric pills, okay, because I heard somebody say something. Actually, it's, it's working. It's working. It's really working. But um, do you know how healthy saliva is? Antifungal, anti-inflammatory, anti-this, anti-that. Scientists, there's, a, there's something in there called histatin that is one of the most powerful things. How many of you know a cut in your mouth heals faster than a cut in your hand? 
How many of you know when you were a little kid and you got cut, you were like, Mommy, kiss it. Actually, there's something in saliva that, anybody know what morphine is? There's something in our saliva that pound for pound is six times more powerful than morphine. And to top it off, <laughs> I love Jesus, and I love what he does, and I love that there's always a hidden meaning in what he does. Preachers can go past the spitting part and just say, well, he felt like spitting. No, no, no. Every word in the Bible, every letter has meaning. And there was no way I was going to go past the spitting part and just be like, oh, I guess Jesus just felt like spitting on someone that day. But Jesus heals people with a word, with a touch, people that are miles away. Why is he spitting? I want to know. Well, here's why. Because in the Talmud, which is the rabbinical commentary and interpretation of the Torah, in other words, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, you know, before you had Matthew Henry and uh, John Gill and all these commentaries, none of you know, maybe one or two know what I'm talking about, people that commentate on the Bible. The Jews were much, much more. They, when they copy something, they copy it to the letter. When they study something, they study it to the letter, and then they argue about it. If you ever go to Israel, you could be on a bus, people be arguing. Everybody's arguing, but they're happy. It's just the way Jews are. They argue in this corner square. They argue. They are. I love it there because I love to argue. But their commentary on saliva, because back then they would use saliva as a healing, healing bomb. Here is the literal from the Talmud. This is what it literally says about spittle or saliva. That the firstborn son of the father, okay, here we go. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, back then, guy, men had more than one wife. It was a really groovy time. Could never do it now, man. Imagine the credit card bills. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Not only that, who's making dinner tonight? But, um, you know, they would have multiple wives, you know. Whoever's not mad at you, <laughs> what if they're all mad at you? You're dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can go off into that, but I'm coming back, bringing it back. Why do I say firstborn of the father? Because if you have multiple wives and each of them has a son, each one of those sons to the mom is the firstborn. But the father has only one firstborn. So what it says is this. The firstborn of the father in his saliva, there is healing for the eyes. Can't make this stuff up, people, and I didn't. <laughs> he was letting those religious leaders know, I'm the firstborn of the Father. Remember John chapter 9 when he spit on the ground? And where does he go? He goes to the religious leaders and like, who did that? And how did he do it? Well, you just spit. It was like mud in their eye. I can't. Jesus, I love you. He puts mud in the eye of religion. I can't stand it. I preached the message once. Here's mud in your eye. So you see the, you see the imagery there? You see 
the spit till there. So, I want everybody to come up for a healing line. I'm going to spit on all of you. That, that's not the, that's, this is why we don't spit on people most of the time. Okay? So then he does this. He says, he asks him a question. If he sees anything. I, as soon as God in the Old Testament or Jesus asks somebody a question, I stop. Because I'm like, how would the all-omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing person need to ask somebody a question? <laughs> Why? It's not for him. Guess what? He knows the answer, okay? Okay, there's no test that he fails, okay? He gets 100 every time. He asks a question so you can figure out where you are and what you see and what you hear, and what you understand. That's why he said to Adam, where are you? I love it. He knows where somebody is, and he asks him, where are you? Because he wants him to recognize where he is. Whenever God asks a question, it's for that person to think about where they are. That's why later on I'm going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God, he died on the cross for your sins, and that God raised him from the dead, and if you put your faith and trust him, that you'll have eternal life. I'm going to ask you that question. That is the most important question that will ever be asked to you. Amen? And if the, you got to be honest, because if the answer is no, today's your day to receive way more than a nice message and some great worship, or a fantastic message and some fantastic worship, or some exceedingly abundantly beyond. Amazing worship <laughs> and preaching. Amen. So he asked him what he saw. And the man answered. And you should answer God when he asks you a question. And be honest. Some of us can't even be honest with God. Be honest. Because it doesn't matter. He knows anyway. You might as well just say it. If you're miserable, say I'm miserable. If you're lonely, say I'm lonely. If you say I'm de desperate, say you're desperate. Whatever it might be, because he knows anyway. But he's doing it for you so you can recognize who you are. There's some people that don't even know who they are or where they are. They haven't talked to themselves really in a long time. They've literally lost themselves. So the man looked and he said, I see men like trees walking. This is a hard passage, all of this stuff. You can easily just say, well, it's really cool. You know, Jesus, he, he spit and he saw a little bit and then he touched him again and he got healed. And it's the double touch and the second and all that stuff. And that would be wonderful. But I'm not going past I see men like trees walking. I, I got to stop right there. I mean, why? why? Why are we talking about trees? We're talking about this man getting his eyesight. And it isn't even about the man because if it was about the man, we'd know his name. If it was about the man, we'd know his name. So, he spits in his eyes, and, and you know, once that happened, it's like, really, what do I see? I see a spit, is what I see. He spit in his eyes, and he said, what are you seeing? And, and you know, when you get spit in your eyes, it's, it, I'm sure, and it, it's, hey, by the way, uh, guess whose saliva this is? God's, you know? 
Jesus spits on you over here, say, spit on my whole body. <laughs> you know? Amen? Like, spit everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's Jesus. He's got a different composition, okay? He's got the Father's blood in him. He's a different person. He's God, and he's a person. So his saliva was great. His saliva touched those eyes because they were closed, obviously, and loosened them up enough so he could start to see something. And in his blurry vision, he saw men, but they looked like trees walking. And the first thing I see here is this guy has seen before. If you haven't seen all your life, you don't know what a tree looks like. Never mind a circle. He's obviously seen before. Everybody say amen. It's a proven fact. Scientists, when, when, when somebody was blind and somebody had to regain their sight, they don't know the difference between a circle and a square. So how would you know the difference between a tree and anything? You have no idea. And it goes to show you that if you're in a place of unbelief for long enough, you'll lose your sight. Because God says, my people perish, which means slowly die when they don't have a what? Vision. This man was in a place of unbelief for long enough that he lost his sight. And people can get into a place, into a relationship, into a lifestyle into a career, into a, a marriage, into something where eventually they lose their ability to even see. And I'm not talking about seeing physically. I'm talking about seeing things in the spirit, believing that it can get better. That's what happens when you're a place of unbelief for long. I know Christians that have been Christians for 35 years that have less vision than someone who came to Jesus last week. I should get a louder amen for that. That's why Jesus said childlike faith. You first come to him, it's like he could do anything. But you have been with him a long time, and you get into a bad place, and unbelief starts to take over, and you can't even see tomorrow. He said, I see men like trees walking. too good. First of all, a walking tree is a what tree? It's a dead tree. Because a walking tree has no roots in the ground, so it is a dead tree. How many of you saw Lord of the Rings? Am I, do I have the right movie, by the way? Because actually it's the only movie I've never seen, which is Lord of the Rings. But I remember like, like my kids were watching something that was trees walking. I'm like, that's from the Bible. No, serious. It was like these big trees, and they had heads, and they were walking. And I said, they, they're dead. Well, it's the movie. <laughs> because a walking tree is a dead tree. And throughout the Bible, men are, and, and people are compared to trees. Psalm 92, one of my favorites. It says, to be planted... A tree, talking about a palm tree, and the house of the Lord shall flourish. Psalm 1-1. A tree planted by rivers of water will bring forth its fruit when? In season. People that are hopping from church to church and ministry to ministry, relationship to relationship, bar to bar, this and that, not rooted and grounded in anything, will produce absolutely 
But a tree that is planted and is grounded shall flourish. And that's one of the biggest problems we have in Christianity, in life. You know, I got four daughters. One of them is married. I'm trying to get the other three married. But it's tough to find a decent young man in this world. You people better start stepping up, get into church, get grounded so you can marry my kid. Praise God. And if you think you're marrying Pastor Kevin's daughter, forget it. You got to go to Bible college for 20 years. You got to come back and serve in the church for the next 15. A bunch of guys just left. I have no shot. He, he had this be a better man class, okay? So all the potential suitors for his daughter probably showed up. He had the class at 8 in the morning for God's sake. What are you trying to say to these kids? The ones that really cared were there at 745 with their pen and pad in hand. Hi, Pastor Kevin. What do you want me to do? I love it, man. Be a better man. If you, and if you think you have a shot with my daughter, you better be a better man. As a matter of fact, the next class starts in a couple months. It's at 6 a.m. And from here to that time, you read the whole Bible seven times. But you see rooted and grounded. I got to mess with him. He's only got one daughter. I got four. You know, it's easy for me to. But uh, praise God, you know. You see people, they're like trees walking around. Like dead. No root. And here's what I would, here's what God showed me. And, and I would, because I always looked at this, and, and most people look at this. Nobody wants to preach on this because the only, the 99% of the people that preach on this message is this, you know, it's a process. You know, you're healing. You get touched once and you get touched again. And I say, wait a minute, one touch from Jesus isn't enough? Just one touch is not enough? Yeah, it is. Of course it is. He could have healed him with a, from a word. He could have been in Oshkosh and just said, the, healed on the other side of the world. No. He was teaching and showing something. And here's what I heard and meditated and thought. We always think, well, he spit on him and he only saw a little bit. Maybe what he was seeing is what Jesus sees. Because Jesus, John the Baptist said when he comes, he's going to put a sickle to the wood, and, and the ones that don't bear fruit are going to be thrown into the fire. And at this time, Jesus hadn't died yet, so nobody was born again. So everybody was like a tree, ready to be thrown into the fire, with no root, not grafted into the vine. So just maybe Jesus was giving him a glimpse of something and giving us a glimpse of something first before you get back to reality. And how many of you remember when you first got saved and first got touched by Jesus and you saw things that maybe now you don't see anymore? Come on now. Well, God wants you to see again. I want you to see again. When I first got saved, everybody to me was I got to find out if they know Jesus. And I was annoying as heck. 
Because when I get OCD about something, everybody that came into my path. I went into the city, go to the hot dog stand. Get, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? What's the matter with you? Don't you know Jesus? Like everybody. That was a good place to be. Because it's all that really matters. It's all that really matters. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus was giving him a glimpse in the spirit before he brought him back to reality. But he took him from a place of unbelief. He spit on him to show him the curse. Galatians chapter 3 talks about that. It says that Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse. And at the same time, by becoming a curse, he cursed curse. And he dissolved the curse on us. And I see that man's flesh that was closed start to dissolve. So he could start to see. To live under curse. Amen? Hallelujah. Mark chapter 8, verse 25. Coming to a close here. Then he put his hands on his eyes again. And I'm here to tell you that he didn't have to do it again because there wasn't enough power in his first spit and his first touch. And obviously he touched his eyes the first time because it says put his hands on his eyes again. But I'm going to tell you something. There are places in your life that God has touched, but he needs to touch again. There are in your marriage, in your thought life, in your unbelief, in your insecurity, that he needs to touch again. I've seen young girls come up here, get saved, go home, look in the mirror, and not like what they saw, even though they know that God loves them and has given them eternal life, and they are his precious daughter. Well, you know what? They can get another touch. Another touch and another touch. Somebody, we, we baptized 40-some people last week, and then we baptized some lady. We don't even know who she was. She could have been an angel. We don't even know. Amen. Who knows? You know? So she came up and said, can I be baptized? And we were like, nah, come back another day. Of course not. We baptized her. And somebody else said to me, Pastor Joe, would, would it be okay if I got baptized again? Of course. If she, if, if she had said it would be okay if I get divorced again, I'd be like, no. Is it okay if I get baptized again? <laughs> yeah. Is it okay if I get saved again? Yeah. Is it okay if I come up the healing line again? Yes, 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 and yes. Because he wants to touch and touch and touch and touch. And every time he does, you'll see more and more and more. Come on. I love this part. As if I didn't love all the rest. I love it all. So he touched his eyes again. And then he made him look again. Okay. Wait a minute. First time, spit my eye. You asked me a question. Now, you touch me again. And now you want to make me do something. I just love this. 
Jesus made him look up. He made him look up. Look up. Look up. Because the whole purpose of this whole thing is that somebody that was blind needs to look up again. We were having a time of worship and prayer and And the Lord said to me in the middle of it, he said, stop looking down. Stop looking at trees. Stop looking at people and look up. Most of us are still looking down or still looking level, but we haven't looked up in a long time. And as long as you look down, and as long as you look at trees walking, as long as you look at death, as long as you allow people to decide who you are and what you're going to be, you'll be forever seeing trees walking. (laughs) But he made him. He caused him. He encouraged him. He empowered him to look up. And so we're in this time of prayer, and it was getting intense and everything, and when the Lord said that to me, I just looked up and I just started speaking out stuff that I haven't said in a long time. Didn't I? And I'm not turning back. Because I don't want to be an unbeliever because it says that he can't do anything in a place of unbelief. And it says he was restored. You know what? Two days ago, I got restored. To be able to look up again, to be able to dream again, to be able to believe again, to be able to hope again. Stop looking down and look up. I was restored, and then I saw clearly. Then I saw clearly. Look what 1 Corinthians 13 says. (laughs) We can see and understand Understand only a little bit about God now, but someday we're going to see him in his completeness face to face. Now all that I know is somewhat hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. See, he sees your heart, and he wants you to see his. He sees your heart. He wants you to see his. He sees your heart. He wants you to see his. The only way you could see his heart is if you look up. Everybody say, look up. Oh, Lord Jesus. (laughs) And we are looking up, right? We're looking up to when he's going to come again. So we should be looking up anyway, but he wants us to look up for more than that. Because then if you look at that all day and night, You'll do nothing too. Mark 8, 26. We're closing up now. Yes, there's only one closing here. He sent him away to his house. Sent him away to his house. And don't go into that town anymore. Sent him away to his house. Oh, I guess his house isn't in the town, is it? I guess that's not where he lives, is it? Let me ask you a question. Why are you living somewhere where you don't live? (laughs) Why are you living somewhere where you don't live? 
living in unbelief, living in doubt, living in despair. Jesus died and paid the price for you to be live a life and that life more abundant. Why wouldn't you live there? He said, don't go back there. I see people get saved here all the time and I'm wondering, where are they? They went back to the town. I see people say, you know what? I'm, we're going to, this marriage, we're, we're, and now they're divorced. They, they went back to the town. I see people, you know, with my financial situation, and blah, 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 and they're gone, and you know where they went? They went back to Funky Town. That's where they went. They went back to Funky Town. That's not where you live. If you don't have vision, if you don't believe for great things, if you don't see a fantastic hope in your future, you're living in the wrong town. You're in the wrong place. You, you, you need to get out of town. You're in the wrong place. Jesus said, you are not going back to that. Many of us, we go back and wallow in the same thing again, talking about the same junk looking at the same trees. And he's trying to say, look up, believe, trust. I want to do something great in your life. Don't go back to that place. Everybody bow your heads with me right now. You don't have to go back to a life of sin and fear and doubt. You don't have to go back to a life that has no way out. You don't have to go back to a life of sickness and disease and poverty and hopelessness. You don't have to go there. Right now, here today, you can look up to Jesus on the cross and have your life changed forever. Your life revived. Your hope revived. Your health revived. Your finances revived. He can do it all because he has done it all. Don't go back. Make a decision today to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you'll never go back to that place again. You do it by saying a prayer and believing what you pray and trusting Him and looking to Him. So as your eyes are closed, your head is bowed, please say this prayer with me. Say, Father, I know that Jesus is your Son. I know he died on the cross for my sin. Three days later, you raised him from the dead that I might have a new life. Holy Spirit, come into my heart and make me brand new today. I believe it. I receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed for a second. You said that prayer for the first time. You want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. Anyone? Is there anyone here?